we're starting a brand new series today um, called Out of Context. And so um, as we go through our life and as we navigate through scripture and as we live this life as believers, followers of Christ, there are a lot of things that we can read and that we can do that takes our relationship with Christ out of context. And so over the next four weeks, I really want to look at God's word and some of the things that we say and that we do that are taken completely out of context. I want us to look into God's word. I want us to understand what the context of that verse or that piece of scripture is so that we can use it correctly and so that we don't find ourselves getting confused or finding ourselves saying, this was not what I was promised when I decided to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And so here's the thing. This comes with a disclaimer. I, am not, I have not picked the only four. I have not picked the only four things in God's word that we use out of context. There's a lot of things that we use out of context or that we read out of context. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. As you navigate through God's word and as we do it together, I want to consistently encourage you to check what God's word is saying within the context of the entire body of scripture. If we pull one thing out, it is easy to take it out of context. It is easy to, to get confused. And so as you're reading, I encourage you, when you find yourself confused, lost, just don't know what to do, talk to uh, your parents, talk to one of those leaders in the room that stood up, talk to me, because I would love to, to walk beside you as you're navigating through your life with Jesus, as you're growing in your relationship with Jesus, and as you're reading his word to make sure that you are not heading in one direction, expecting a different outcome than what God has promised in his word. And so we're going to take the next four weeks to look at this series called Out of Context. And so to do that today, I want you guys to open up um, your Bibles if you got one. If not, it'll be on the screen to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37 and as you flip there, so Psalm is this collection um, of, it, it's an entire book that is a collection of a lot of great things that many different authors wrote down. A lot of them are from, from a guy named David, some from Solomon, some we still don't know who the author of those Psalms are. But what they are is they're a response, they're a worship to God. But also, sometimes the, the Psalms are for God. It's something that we read as in response to who God is and give him something back. But sometimes when we're reading the Psalms, we find some verses that, that is some wisdom or something for us to understand. And so as we look at this today in, in chapter 37, verses 1 through 5, this is a Psalm of David, uh, the greatest king that Israel ever had. And so he is writing to us, he is writing to us, his response to God, a reminder to himself, to his people, but even to us today of what we need to do. And so here we go. This is chapter 37, verses 1 through 5. It says, of David, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And it wraps up with this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for, for this morning. We thank you that the middle schoolers were able to come and join us as we, um, we sing out to, to you and to who you are. Um, so God, I pray that you'd be in this morning. I pray that as we look into your word, Father, we would not simply take verses and apply them to our lives where it's convenient um, and take it out of context, but Father, that we would look into your word, we would see the truth that you're telling us, that we would pursue it. Um, 
God, I pray that you would uh, grant mercy upon the Browns today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. <laughs> Go Steelers. Yeah. Boy, man, that's tough. Um, <clears throat> any Browns fans here today? Um, where, where are, someone today said, I am predicting this year the Browns will go 19-0 and and win the Super Bowl. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen at all. Um, but here's what I am. I am excited for this season. Uh, football is here. Whether you, whether you like it or not, fall is here. And football is one of those things that brings it to the, to the forefront that fall has arrived. And we're here. We had a, if, you are, if you are a born and bred Buckeye, we had a bad night last night. I think we're heading into a bad afternoon, so I hope that we can say our morning was awesome. And so <laughs> that's my hope for us. Um, so as I was looking at this, this scripture, um, as I was looking um, to what we're talking about today, it reminded me of my daughter, Finley. Some of you have met her, but for those of you who have not, Finley is the cutest two-and-a-half-year-old in the entire world. Um, she is um, our oldest child, uh, and she is an absolute blast. And so we're in that stage of life, we're in that stage of life where we're beginning to learn manners, you know, uh, where, you know, a, a, a toot or a stinker is cute as opposed to, come on, that's disgusting, you know, like we experience it here. And so we're, t- we're beginning this process of learning manners. And one of the hardest things that she's learning right now is sharing. One of the hardest she's, things she's learning right now is, is, is the art and the discipline of sharing. And she's so cute like she wears the when she's not getting her way she started this thing within the past couple weeks where she wears the biggest pouty lip like the bottom lip is is it's she multiplies it somehow and sticks it out and she just looks so sad but when I see it also it is so cute and so I'm smiling at her as she is pouting and she's not getting her way and we're encouraging her to let her know hey it doesn't always end in the way that you want it to because prior to the pouting phase, we had this phase where it was like, you need to ask for the things that you want. You need to ask mommy and daddy. You need to say, mommy and daddy. And Emily has done a phenomenal job of this, like with proper grammar. She walks up, God bless her, little, little, little two and a half year old, like 17 pound Finley. Uh, she walks up and she goes, daddy, may I please have some candy? Like super, like grammar correct, like may I please, like Emily has done an awesome job of helping her understand how you ask for something in the appropriate way. And so she uses, uses this, this sweet little innocence that she goes, may I please, may I please have this, may I please. She uses her, her, her manners for no thank you. Um, you know, instead of brother, stop talking to me, she says, brother, I need a little bit of space, you know, because Colton is, is just in love with his older sister and he just barrel hugs or the whole thing. But what we need to look at today is the reality of asking nicely always doesn't get us what we want. When we ask nicely, it doesn't always get us what we want. And that's one of the challenges that Emily and I have seen in our parenting is we're telling her when she comes and asks for something, we say, no, 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 no. You don't just ask. You you don't just say, I want a cookie or give me a cookie. You ask. You say, may I please have a cookie? And usually the reward for asking appropriately was what, giving her what she wanted. But then there's this, these times in life where she is now learning uh, a more advanced part of this, this, manners, I, this, this, this discipline of manners. 
And we have realized that every time she comes and asks in a kind and appropriate way, we can't just give it to her. Because if she comes up and says, Daddy, may I please have a cookie? And she's eating a good dinner. I give her a cookie. She runs away and eats it. And she comes up again five minutes later, Daddy, may I please have a cookie? I can't just continue to give her cookies until she is full or throwing up. And so we as parents are learning this to teach her that when we ask for things in the right way, we have been given, we have given her a formula of the right way to ask for things. But what we now are beginning, in the, we are in the process of teaching her is when you ask, when you use this formula to ask in the right way, it does not always get you exactly what you wanted. And so as we look into God's word, I think that sometimes we look at some uh, specific verse from this, this, this portion of scripture. I think we look at it and we say, well, I found the formula to get exactly what I want from God whenever I want it. You know, for Finley, it's may I please have blank. And so now we've gotten to the point where we go, thank you, you know, sweetheart, thank you so much. You asked, thank you for asking and using your manners, but not right now. Or we, it's right before bedtime, we're not going to go play outside. You know, whatever it is. Sweetheart, those shoes cost more than daddy's car. We cannot buy those, even though you asked in the right way. Now, if I'm buying a two-year-old shoes more expensive than my car, we got bigger problems. But what we realize is we do this with God. We learn, we learn from a young age, we need to ask God for the things that we want. We need to pray, we need to seek him, we need to ask God for the things that we want. And sometimes we look in a scripture and we see one specific verse out of context that supports our idea of whatever I ask for from God, as long as I ask in the right way or I pray this specific prayer or I live my life in this specific way or I go about my daily activities, I, my disciplines are following God. If I do those things in a specific orderly fashion, I will get exactly what I want. I'll ask God for it. He's going to give it to me. So we're going to look into God's word this morning to really see how we've been taking this specific part of scripture out of context, how we can apply it to our lives and in fact live a better life because of it. And so let's jump back in to, to, to chapter 37. And David starts out, first two, first two verses, he says this, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And so as I, as I read this, that first, that first part, he says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. And as I read this, I see areas of my life where I see this playing out in my life where I look at those who may, maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus or who are pursuing an evil lifestyle or are heading down the wrong path, and as they're walking down that path, it looks like they are experiencing nothing but joy and excitement and pleasures. You know, for us, you probably have friends at your school that you say, I see the path that they're walking on, and it's heading in destruction, but it looks like they're having a blast along the way. You know, we see our friends that are engaging in, in behaviors and activities, and we go, man, that is that, like the, the life of a high school and or college student, that is attractive. That is an attractive lifestyle. And I see my friends who I know are doing wrong, but they are not being punished for it right now. Like sometimes it's like, hey, God, where are you? Like I'm living this life, and they're doing that thing. Looks like they're having a lot of fun, and I perceive that I'm having no fun 
and they're not receiving the punishment that I feel that they deserve. And so what David is saying to us here is he goes, don't worry about what they're doing. He goes, fret not yourself because of evildoers. When you see others doing those kind of, kinds of things, your response should be compassion. Man, I can't believe they're living that lifestyle knowing that it's going to lead to destruction. Even though they're not experiencing that right now, I have compassion for them because I know that a world of hurt is getting ready to come for them. You know, in verse 2, he goes on to say, For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And what David is saying here is their time will come if they continue to pursue that lifestyle, the lifestyle that you may say, man, that looks, that looks like a good lifestyle, that looks like they're enjoying themselves. He says soon, sooner than later, they're going to experience the negative, the poor choices that they're making, the negative choices that they're making. They will receive the consequences for that in, in time to come. One, one verse we've looked at in the past couple weeks is Galatians 6, 7. And this is Paul writing, and he's talking about God. He says, God will not be mocked. Those who sow a seed will reap the same seed. And so what, what Paul is saying is those who are sowing those seeds, those who are living this lifestyle, eventually, at some point, they will reap what they sow. And so if you know the end result for them, that is one of the great reasons for us to say, I'm going to avoid that, and I'm going to follow what God has called me to do. And David continues to speak on this. He continues to speak on this. When we see those friends that we have, he tells us now this is our response. As believers, as followers of Jesus, as, as understanding and knowing who God is and following him with our life, he says this in verse 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend, befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so look at verse 3 there. It says, trust the Lord and do good. For those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, we know what it looks like to do good. Let's be honest. If we have a relationship with Jesus or not, we know what good choices are. We know what they look like. We may not pursue them all the time, but we know what they look like. We know what they sound like. We know what they feel like. And what, what David is telling us here is that's what we need to pursue. We need to pursue things that are good. We need to do good in the lives of, our, of others as well as ourselves, And that happens through our trust in God. As we trust the Lord as we trust the Lord, it gives us the power, it gives us the understanding to do those things that are good. And this is where we get to that verse that we can take out of context. Verse 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You, know, you might find yourself saying, Ryan, I've been pursuing God, and I'm not getting what I want. Ryan, in God's word, it says, delight in the Lord, and he's going to give me what I want. But the reality is, we have to look within the context of the entire verse to understand what this is specifically saying. Because when we just read that, if especially, especially if we just look at the end, he will give you the desires of your heart. And if that, if that were true, our lives would look completely different as we pursue a relationship with God. And so what we need to do is we need to look specifically at that. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. 
So what we have to understand is what that looks like in our lives, in the context of our lives as high school students. What does it look like in your life to delight yourself in the Lord? Well, as we look into God's word, we see a lot of things that we can do to delight ourselves in the Lord. I think the first thing we need to do is we need to enter into a relationship with his son. That's what it looks like to delight ourselves in the Lord, is to understand what his son has done for us, understand how, how wrong and how evil and how sinful we truly are, and say, you know what, I am going to first and foremost pursue a relationship with God's son in the person of Jesus Christ. We need to delight ourselves in the Lord. We also have to, to, to fully delight in the Lord. We have to understand who he is and what he has done for us. One of the ways that we do that is we get into God's word. We do it every Sunday. We look into God's word to see what it's saying to us. But when it comes down to that, it's not just looking and reading and knowing. It is then doing. To delight in the Lord, it's not just to know what he wants from us or for us. And that, so, that, that specifically is a relationship with Jesus. It's then doing something about it. I know some of you took an ACT yesterday. And yeah, yeah, good for you guys. I'm so glad that that stage of my life is over. Um, that, was, that was miserable. I hated it. I, uh, I think I got the least amount of points that you can get just for putting your name on it. But it's just like that. When you sit down in front of that test and you start figuring out what the answer is, you can say, I know what the answer is, and you can be right in that, but you are not right until you apply it to your test. Until you bubble in the correct answer or until you write it in or until you write that essay, you, are not, you can know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. You can know it, you can understand it, you can explain it, but until you put it on the paper, you have not acted on it. It's the same way in our relationship with Jesus. We can know what God's word says. We can know the right answers. We can pursue the, what this word is saying. But until we actually act it out, until we take a step of faith to first enter into a relationship with Jesus, it's like knowing all the answers, having a perfect test, but never writing it down, never acting upon it. And so what we need to realize is we need to delight ourselves in the Lord. And when we know what that looks like to pursue a relationship with God, when we delight ourselves in who he is and what he has done, we can then live out the next part. He will give you the desires of your heart. As I was reading and studying this, it, a simple, simple word that I saw that helped me understand this in such a better way. It says, he will give you the desires of your heart. Not, he will give you the desires of your flesh. So often we can say, the desires of my heart are, are, are these worldly things. But as we look at that, what we understand is those are, are desires of the flesh, of who we are, of the world. You know, there's, we can confuse it and say, if I delight in the Lord, he's going to give me the car that I want when I turn 16, or he's going to get me into the school that I want to be in at 18, or when I graduate, or he's going to put me in a place where I get the job that I want, simply because I am delighting myself in who God is. 
But when we understand it's not the desires of the flesh, he will give you the desires of your flesh, of this world, but he will give you the desires of your heart. And when we've entered into a relationship with Jesus, our heart is no longer ours, but it is Jesus's. And so what the psalmist is really saying here, what I believe that the psalmist, what David is saying here is delight yourself in the Lord and he will become the desire of your heart. And we want more of him because we realize who Jesus is, who the Son of God is, who the Heavenly Father is, is something so great that we want more and more and more of who he is. When we take the light in the Lord, when we take the light in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart because as we pursue a relationship with Jesus, our desires begin to change to his desires. And what we begin to realize is his desires are far better than our own. Yeah, it'd be nice to drive that car. Yeah, it'd be nice to go to that school. Yeah, it would be really great to be a starter on a, on a state championship team or to win a state championship yourself. But sometimes what Jesus is wanting for us is different than what we want. But when we align ourselves to what Jesus has called us to, we find we end up in a way better spot than we ever could have imagined. And in verse 5, he wraps up. What we're going to look at today, he says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. Look at God. Look at his word. Commit to him. Commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to what God has called you to do. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. We can say, God, I am going down this path. I'm going to commit and what we find is we don't, always find, we, we don't always find the solution right away. And the psalmist knows it. He knows that when we commit our life to, to God, when we commit our life to Jesus, and we start walking down that path, we're going to get resistance. The world is going to see what we're choosing to do, and it's going to fight against us. He says when that happens, we need to trust in God and know that he will come through. Trust in God, and he will act. He will act. Not knowing that he will act, at some point, he will act in your life. See, when, not, when, when we live our life out of context, when we live our life out of context in regards to what God has called us to do, we see these promises that we think we've been promised, and we never get there, and we fall flat on our face, and we find ourselves frustrated, stressed out, saying, God has not given me what I want. I think my question for you is when you find yourself in that stage of life, what does your relationship with God actually look like? What does it look like for you to commit your ways to what God is calling you to do? Like I said, in Galatians, Paul talks about God will not be mocked. He says, do not be do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. What you, what you sow, you will reap. And I believe Paul saw that from his life, but he also saw it as he looked into the scripture and saw verses like this, that when taken into context, we understand what our relationship with God needs to look like, what we need to pursue so that we get what God wants for us, not what we want for ourselves. 
And if we're pursuing Jesus, if we're pursuing a relationship with God, what I can guarantee you, if you are all out, sold in for God, and you are committing your life to him, if you're following what one through five says, realistically three through five, hopefully you're not living in the one and two, living in these earthly pleasures. If you're living out three through five, there's going to come a point where you said, you know what, God has acted. I've committed my life to him, and I see that my heart is beginning to change because I'm pursuing the things that he wants for me, not necessarily the things that I want for me. Part of that trust in God is trusting that his plan is far greater than our own. And so as you pursue this relationship with Jesus, we have to understand that that the desires of our heart need to begin to shift to what Jesus wants for us, to what God wants for our lives. And as we begin to pursue that, we may realize that we're passing up things that we wanted for ourselves, but as we're passing those up, it leaves us time and space and room in our heart for what God really wants for us. And as you go along that, you find that your story grows and that your story shared with someone else inspires them to get off of their track and to get onto God's track. Because I believe, I believe with my whole heart that if we position ourselves, if we begin to live our lives following what God wants for us, we're going to be blown away time and time again because the desires of our heart will become the desires of God's heart. And as we're pursuing him, amazing things will happen in and through our lives. So I encourage you guys, as you're reading through God's word, as you're pursuing him, live your life, live your relationship with Jesus in context to what he's really calling us to do. When we pursue Jesus in a relationship with him, we don't always get what we want. But if we're fully sold out to Jesus, we get what he wants, and it's far better than we ever could have imagined. I encourage you guys to begin to do that identify that and pursue it and watch how your heart changes and watch how the promises of God start to become fulfilled in your life and watch how because God has big things for you. Guys, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, God, I thank you. Thank you for who you are. I thank you for for your son, Father, that you gave us what we needed when we needed it without knowing it. And so, God, as we we go about our lives, I pray, Father, that we would position ourselves to follow you boldly. Pray that we would do that through the encouragement of our friends. Pray that we would do that through, through the support of our families and our group leaders. Father, it's my my desire that we would pursue what you want for our lives. It's hard, God. It's hard to see what the world is doing and how they're living right now, understanding that they're not living in a way that you've called us to live. But it's my prayer, Father, that we would would put on blinders, that we would block those things out, that you would show us what you're calling us to do, and we would pursue that and only that. God, we trust that you will act. And so we thank you for all that you do. In your name we pray. Amen.